Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, film geeks. Today's class is all about Oppenheimer, the movie I have been waiting since last summer to see. And I have finally seen it. So let's talk about it. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of All Right, Let's Talk About It. My name is Savannah. I am your host. I do film reviews and film industry commentary. Who I know it's been, what, two weeks, y'all? So where have I been? I owe y'all kind of an explanation. Now, if you follow me on TikTok or Instagram, you already know um, where I've been, what's been going on with me. But if you don't, let me just kind of fill you in. Long story short, I got COVID. So I went to the movies Monday, July the 3rd to see Sound of Freedom. I gave y'all, that was the last episode two weeks ago on Thursday, uh, the 7th. I gave y'all that episode, right? So Monday the 3rd, I went and saw Sound of Freedom. Everything was Gucci. It was great. I was fine. I recorded the thing. And then about 3.34-ish is when I started to feel a little sick. My nose started to feel a little stuffy. I just felt tired instantly. It was out of nowhere. There was nothing leading up to it. There's nothing. It came out of nowhere. You know, normally if you're feeling sick, it's something like, oh, a runny nose or, you know, watery eyes or dry eyes. It's something that kind of clues you in that, hey, you might be a little under the weather. Nope. I was good. Fine. I even went to the gym that morning, went to the movies, came home, recorded the podcast. And then out of nowhere, boom, face is stuffy. I'm instantly tired. I thought it was allergies. So I took an allergy pill and a little bit of Dayquil just to help with the stuffiness, right? No, I I then. I went to Bible study that night. <laughs> Everyone's fine in my small group, so they're good. Um, came home and, you know, went to sleep, woke up at like 11.29 p.m. Monday night, and I had the absolute worst headache I've ever had in my life. Crazy. It was it was so painful. My skin was sensitive and tingly, and that was, you know, my big tell. It was around 6 o'clock that evening. My skin started to feel a little sensitive and tingly, and that was my tell that I was, oh, this is an allergies. I'm getting a cold. This might be the flu, and I wasn't too concerned about that. The flu doesn't scare me. You know, I'm usually down for about 24 to 48 hours, and then I'm good to go. But when I woke up in the middle of the night, I'm like, okay, this is a little more than the flu. What is this? I, I thought maybe this is, you know, woman stuff. Um, you know, things happen when you're a woman and you have a menstrual cycle and all that jazz. And, and that's what I thought maybe because I couldn't think what could this possibly be? Maybe it's a flu. Maybe it's a summer cold. I don't know. I haven't heard about anyone else getting sick. 
So yeah, I couldn't sleep at all Monday night going into early Tuesday morning. And I pretty much slept most of that Tuesday. So July 4th, that's how I spent my Independence Day. The next day, I was feeling much better. No headache, no tingly skin, just tired and a slight little headache, um, just mainly dehydration. And I took a COVID test, you know, suggestion from my mom, came up positive. I had COVID. So I just chilled out and slept pretty much for like three to four days um, off and on probably the most naps I've ever taken in my entire life. And yeah, I was actually supposed to see Insidious on the 7th, wasn't able to see it. Um, I tried, you know, reserving a ticket for that Sunday. So that would have been, no, I'm sorry. Yes. Thursday the 6th. So I tried to reserve a ticket for that Sunday the 9th. Didn't happen. Um, I was just still, I was feeling a lot better by Sunday, but I was still just very tired. Monday, I'd say I was about 80, 85%. Tuesday, I felt like 100% went to the movies and I saw Mission Impossible. Um, I I think I pushed myself a little too hard on Tuesday because I was just a little worn out, but I was still feeling pretty good. Uh, Wednesday, I was feeling a lot better. Thursday, I went and finally saw Insidious. So I don't have podcast recordings for those movies. But if you want to hear my thoughts, you can go to my TikTok or my Instagram. Um, all of my usernames are in the description. And, you know, spent this week with my best friend. She came into town and we did church together. My church had its middle school uh, youth conference this week and we served at that together. And then we saw Oppenheimer yesterday. And that's where we are right now. So I'm here. Let, let's talk Oppenheimer, y'all. So this week, movie weekend is epic, right? It's insane. We have Barbie, we have Oppenheimer, and then a little small little horror movie that came out that I'm actually going to go see Sunday. So the, 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 what? there's so much to talk about here, right? The, the, this is the, the movie of the year. I don't I, I don't even know where to start. This I'm going to be real with you. I, I don't know how much information I can give you. I don't know if I can even... I feel like an unreliable narrator here. I I don't know if you can trust my opinion here because I feel like I need to watch this a second time. It was amazing the first time around, but I feel like if I watch it again, there's so much more I'm going to catch. There's a lot I feel like I missed. There's a lot of historical information. Now, when it comes to World War II, I can follow along just fine when we're talking about, you know, uh, the European side of things, you know, Nazi Germany, the Holocaust and all that jazz. Like, I feel like that I can follow along with very well. I'm not all that well versed on more of the kind of, I, I call it, I've always called it kind of the hidden side of World War II, the making of the atomic bomb, bomb, what happened at Pearl Harbor, our, our dealings with Japan and all that. I'm not as well versed on that part. So a lot of this was brand new history information for me. It's something that I've never really looked that much into, which I have no excuse because I live in the city of New Orleans and we have the most epic World War II museum. I've actually been there, but I didn't even get to go through a quarter of it. It it really is like a two day experience. It's huge. It's massive. And it's extensive. It's wonderful. If you ever come to the city of New Orleans, highly recommend the World War II Museum. This is not a plug. I'm not sponsored. Um, I know it's not something you would typically associate with the city of New Orleans. Like that's not do it, do it totally worth the experience, but you need two days if you want to do the whole museum, but I'm getting a little sidetracked. So yeah, a lot of this was new history information for me because this is a side of World War II where I am the least knowledgeable. And also it's all physics, math, and a lot of numbers and equations. And I haven't been in a math class since 2005. Yeah. And I never liked math to begin with. And I never took physics. I I, I was in chemistry and then calculus. So 
yeah, there was a lot happening that I didn't quite understand. But the thing I liked about this movie here is I think Christopher Nolan understood that there's a lot of it we wouldn't understand. So there were moments where, you know, Killian Murphy as Oppenheimer would explain something. And then when we get a visual, a visual that would kind of like illustrate what he's talking about. I did appreciate those little moments because I'm like, what does he mean? Oh, oh, boom. Explosion. Oh, oh, the, 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 the gravity and all that okay okay i'm with you i know i know where we're going with this so yeah it, that part was I, I i feel like i just need to watch it a second time just to really kind of grasp everything and as long as this movie is it is three hours long it, it would totally be worth three hours of my day um let's just y'all okay i left the theater with me and my best friend we were both speechless speechless I just, I I was just, I was floored. I, that, I always talk about, you know, the the experience of being in the movies. That's what I I love, the theater experience. And that was an experience. So I'm getting ahead of myself. So this is Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. And it has a stacked cast, y'all. Stacked. Which, you know, Christopher Nolan, I feel like, is very, very good with a heavy cast. You know, sometimes he goes a little light. I'd say, like, Tenet, Memento. That's one of his earlier films. And I think it's his first full feature-length film. Like, his first... That was kind of his introduction to the movie scene was Memento, if you've never seen it. Oh, my God, it's so good. Guy Pierce, wonderful. And then you have stuff like Inception, where it's just very heavy, a lot of heavy hitters just a great cast right and then you have this where it's just stacked stacked the last movie with a stacked cast like this i think i would think maybe air was kind of a stacked cast the ben affleck film from a couple of months ago amsterdam um from last fall which also had Rami Malek in it. So who who's all in this? We have Killian Murphy, Killian Murphy, who plays our title character, J. Robert Oppenheimer, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Josh Hartnett, whom I haven't seen in a couple of years, Casey Affleck, Rami Malek, Kenneth Branagh, oh gosh, Gustav Skarsgård, uh, one of the Skarsgård brothers, uh, David Dasmalkian. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. I wanted to mention him because him in this movie, um, it took me a minute to place him because I'm like, he looks so familiar. I know his face. Who is he? Me and my best friend actually watched The Dark Knight a couple of nights ago just to kind of prepare ourselves for, for the Christopher Nolan experience. He is also in that movie. He has a very small role. He plays, um, Thomas Schiff, the, uh, paranoid schizophrenic who is wearing the Rachel Dawes um, name tag in the ambulance, if you remember that movie. Who else is in this? Uh, Jack Quaid, Josh Peck, Dane DeHaan, um, James Darcy, Alex Wolf. I mean, just a stacked cast. So Gary Oldman, how did I not recognize him? I'm just now realizing Gary Oldman was an, is a freaking chameleon. Can I just like take a quick minute here and just talk about Gary Oldman? He's a chameleon. He's an absolute cinematic chameleon. He has been anything and everything and everywhere. It wasn't until last summer I hadn't. So Hannibal is um one of my favorite movies. He's in that movie. He's the guy whose name I've just completely escaped me, whose face is all cut up. That's Gary Oldman. How did I not know that? 
I love that movie. I could recite that movie from memory. You know, I grew up in the Charlotte area. That movie features the Biltmore House, which is in Asheville in the um, Appalachian Mountains, somewhere in the Blue Ridge. And so that that part of it is just wonderful for me, right? I had no idea. Gary Oldman is an absolute chameleon. He doesn't get his dues and it kind of pisses me off. But stacked cast, the, oh, where do I even begin? Where to start? Y'all, where to start? There is a lot we can talk about with respect to this movie, but we don't have all day. You don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind of time. So we're just going to stick to talking about acting, sound, cinematography, and visual effects. But before we even get to that part, how did I feel? How did I like the movie? Did I like it? Did I enjoy it? What, 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 what did I think? Before we even get into the nitty gritty and start breaking things down, my overall thoughts, just, you know, in general, um, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest here. I'm not over exaggerating. I, I'm not, you know, just saying things to say, say something, you know, because this is a big movie weekend. It's going head to head with Barbie, which is a completely different demographic, right? Um, I'm not just saying this. I'm not, you know, being dramatic. Did I say that already? I don't even know. I, no one's sponsoring me. No one's telling me to say this. This is my honest, true opinion. Yes, I have been waiting on this movie since last summer. I've been very excited. I love Christopher Nolan as a director and as an artist. I think he is an artist. That's my opinion. Now, it, and I think, this is my personal opinion, I think and when it comes to award season next year, and I'm talking about the Golden Globes, the SAG, and the um, the Oscars. Those award shows, when it comes to those award shows, the big three, these are the biggest awards in the industry for, you know, amongst their peers, right? These are the biggest awards. These are the ones that matter. These are the ones that are put next to your name when people are listing the cast. They don't say, you know, People's Choice Award winner, you know, Gary Oldman. No, they say Academy Award winner, Gary Oldman. Academy Award nominee, Austin Butler. That's what they say, right? That that's what matters. It's it's that honorific that changes everything. It, it changes everything, right? Right. So when it comes to the the award season, if you are looking, if you are a filmmaker and you have a movie coming out this year and you are looking to compete in those big three, this is what I'm telling you: your movie either needs to be as good or better than Oppenheimer to even be considered for the awards that actually matter. I'm talking direction, cinematography, writing, acting. Even since this is Christopher Nolan we're talking about, visual effects, even production design. A lot of what we see here was built from scratch. So to even be considered or even think you deserve a spot in the nominations, your film needs to be as good, if not better. This is the standard setter for award season. This is the movie of the year. It is the best movie of the year. This is probably the best movie I've seen in a very long time. This is the movie they're going to be in 10 years down the road studying in film classes. In sound engineering and sound mixing classes, what have you, production classes, this is the movie they're going to be studying. This is it. I guarantee I'm I don't know how else to put it. This was a cinematic masterclass. It, it's a masterpiece. It's damn near perfection. It's absolutely incredible. What an incredible experience. 
I mean, this wasn't just, you know, oh, it's a nice story and it flows like a good narrative. No, this this Christopher Nolan really said, I want good cinematography. I want good sound. I want good editing. I want to mix narratives. I want to you know, I want this to be linear and nonlinear. I, I want the, the 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 audience to be slightly confused when it comes to wondering where we are and who we're talking about and realizing we're actually talking about the same man, but who he was when he was a young one and who he is as an old man are two completely different people. And just in every corner of what makes a movie a movie, this movie excels to the nth degree. This is the movie of the year. This is the movie to beat Fight me, I don't care. That being said, if Killian Murphy does not get a nomination for Best Actor, I'm going to riot. That was the performance of a lifetime. I, I would honestly put it somewhere alongside Brendan Fraser in The Whale if we're comparing years here. You know, we have Colin Farrell, who was in Banshees of Inisherin, right? And I said, you know, that was the performance of his life. But Brendan Fraser's in The Whale, that was the performance of a lifetime. Killian Murphy in this is a, is a performance of a lifetime. It's, it's right there. This was, he was wonderful, flawless. I mean, the man has been doing this for a very long time. I mean, I've known him as an actor since 28 days later. Right. So he he's come up and he's come out and he's been doing the dang thing for a very long time. And it's, it really took this long for them to put him in a movie where he carries and he leads and more did he carry. I mean, his eye, and you could do so many closer. He has beautiful blue eyes, those piercing blue eyes, those cheekbones. He has such an interesting face. And so much of this story is told in his eyes and in his face. It was a full body performance that those of us who know him as an actor know he's capable of. But what a joy it was to finally see him take the lead. What a joy. My God, what a performance. I mean, that was next level. This is a character piece about J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. This is the man who led the project that created the, the atomic bomb that ended, effectively ended, and silenced World, World War II, and then kind of set this on this weird, you know, on the brink of war trajectory for the next several decades. And this is a man who's very complicated, who wasn't perfect by any means. And he was complicated, like he was complicated. That word keeps getting stuck with me. He was complicated. And I think that word keeps getting stuck with me. It's because there's no courage in Hollywood anymore when it comes to giving us character pieces. Everyone wants to give their opinion. Everyone wants their opinion of who they're ever, whoever they're talking about to be king. You know, there is no letting the audience decide how they feel about a character. They're so afraid of people not liking the movie because they don't like the character. I think you're going to walk away from J. Robert Oppenheimer feeling sorry for him, but also being angry with him and being disgusted by some by his behavior, his his hubris. I, I, he's complicated. He's human. This was such a human character piece. And Killian Murphy killed it. And hats off to Christopher Nolan for having the courage to let him stay complicated. For, for kind of taking his hand off of the subject and letting the story tell itself. You, you don't see that so much anymore. It's so much direction right now. It's very heavy handed. Very heavy handed. And that's, I think, the part that meant the most to me. 
as someone who enjoys writing, who enjoys character pieces and stories, the fact that he allowed J. Robert Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer in this movie to remain honest and human and complicated. I appreciated that. It seems like such a small thing, but it's something so many directors are afraid to do. To They're afraid to let the audience decide for themselves. They're so fixated on making sure the audience feels one way or the other that they're afraid to kind of give audience the freedom to really experience the movie however they want to experience it. But yeah, the acting is everything. Killian Murphy deserves um, Oscar recognition for this. Robert Downey Jr. deserves Oscar recognition. He killed it. My gosh. So he plays a dude named Strauss or Strauss. I don't, there was big back and forth on how to pronounce the man's last name in the movie. And what an ass. Um, You kind of feel a little bit of sympathy for him. I mean, again, complicated allowing you to kind of ride the emotions with their character, the allowing you to feel one way about them at the beginning in a completely different way at the end, because you start the movie, you kind of like the dude, he's kind of a mouse, you know, you, you're kind of where he's at this, you know, guy who's ad- admiring this big name. And by the end of the movie, you hate his guts. You want to punch him. I wanted to punch him in the face. Oh, he, he deserves it. Emily Blunt. I don't know where they would throw her in this, whether she'd be lead actress or supporting, but I I am predicting Oscar nods for Killian Murphy, Robert Downey Jr., and Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt was amazing. So she was kind of in the background a little bit in the beginning of this movie. Now, when we get to the third act, that's when she really shines. I, I love that. I love how we don't get a whole lot from her, but when, but it's very much husband and wife here. You know, again, he's a very complicated man. He's not perfect. He's a bit of a womanizer, kind of a whole ho. That's what me and my best friend were saying in the car on the way home. Like he was a whole ho. And we, we have this husband and wife dynamic. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Where he's larger than life, doing big things, and she's kind of in the background taking care of the house, taking care of the kids, right? And then everything's kind of over, and he's starting to feel a certain way. He's starting to feel weak, and he's starting to feel guilty, and he's that's where the complication starts to come in a bit. And that's where her character starts to take the lead a bit, like a wife, like a good wife. There's something about like a good wife who steps up and steps in front of her husband, trying to protect him, trying to keep him safe, protect him from himself, protect him from the people who are trying to destroy him and his credibility and his good name. Right. And that's where she just shines. You know, she's standing in the background for so long, kind of, you know, teetering on the brink of insanity and just depression and alcoholism. And then we see her just kind of just push through that. And this strong woman just burst forth. It's such a beautiful unfolding of her character. And there's a moment where she's being interrogated and when that scene was done, I just, I, you know, hit my best friend. I I said, that was perfection. That was so good. It was, that was, it was brilliant. Oh my goodness. Now, okay, we're going to move on. What's the next thing we're going to talk about? We talked about the acting. I thought the acting was amazing. The It's an incredible ensemble piece. And in addition to it being very character driven and very, you know, we're very much focused on, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer and Killian Murphy, and he's in almost every scene, but it's an incredible ensemble. This is a movie where everyone had to be just as good, if not better. Everyone had to be kind of on the same page. And you had varying degrees of skill here. You have Florence Pugh, who is very skilled, but she's kind of new. She's kind of like a baby giant. Josh Peck, who is, you know, he, he's on the come up. The, he's he's getting there. We have Jack Quaid and Dane DeHaan, you know, these, these little babies who are coming up giants. They're, they're coming somewhere, right? And then we have these giants with these small roles who've been doing big things for a while now, but the, just to be, they just wanted to, they just have to be there. Rami Malek, Casey Affleck, um, Josh Hartnett, you know, coming up from the grave, essentially for me anyway. This is the first time, I, mean, I know he's been doing movies, but I haven't seen him in so long. It was... Th- I recognized him immediately. It was the smile in that voice. It's like, I know him. I had crushes on him. Pretty sure I had a picture of him on my wall. It, it was it was wonderful. Just And the way we're introduced to a lot of these characters, it's it breaks the fourth wall a little bit because it's almost like Christopher Nolan understood that we will be surprised and happy to see these faces, these familiar acting faces, the way we're introduced to Florence Pugh and like, there she is. And then Casey Affleck, we don't see his face for a while. You see the back of his head and there was something in me that's like, I know that voice. I know who that is. Who is that? And then we see his face and I about jumped out of my skin because I have a little mini crush on him. I've always thought he was very handsome, but that's neither here nor there. We don't have time to talk about all that. And, you know, even with Josh Peck, you know, this, the, 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 we only see just slightly of him, the back of his head, you can hear his voice and you recognize and you know, that's him, but then you see his face and it's joy. 
even Matt Damon. We know he's in this movie. We've seen him all up in the previews, but there he is. And it's that, that, that slight, slight breaking of the fourth wall, letting us be excited to see some of our favorite players. So it's a great ensemble piece, but we got to move on. We can't be talking about the acting forever. What's next on the list of things to talk about? The freaking sound, y'all. Can we talk about the sound? My God. So again, this kind of ties in with visual effects because so much of the sound was very much in sync with the picture and the visual effects. So we're going to kind of combine the visual effects and sound for a little bit. Here's the thing I loved about the sound in this movie is that it's very open. Now I saw this in IMAX. So what this was going to be like in a regular theater, I couldn't tell you. I, this is my first IMAX experience. I haven't been in like a regular normal theater setting in a minute. I am, I'm obsessed with Prime at my AMC theater, which kind of gives you a, a larger base experience. You can literally feel the explosions and the bass and the sound. That's been my obsession for a while. I saw um, a couple of movies that way. So I, I'm not sure how this would sound in a regular theater, but I know in IMAX, and if you see this in something like a Prime or an XD or maybe RDX, you're probably going to get that full bass experience, that full surround sound experience. But so much of the sound was very much in sync with the editing. So the the sound editing and the visual editing go very much hand in hand. And the the way he does the sound is he at times he mimics a bomb where the sound will kind of explode and then suck back in. So if you've ever like if you know anything about explosives, there are some bombs that are like this. I'm not I don't know much about the atomic bomb, so don't come at me. But I know with a lot of bombs, they'll explode, suck everything in and then boom. That's a, what a lot of the sound was like. We'd get this explosion of light and movement. Um, moments where he was kind of just getting frustrated and flustered. The room would shake. The, the room would get bright. And then silence. And then boom. Something would... Um, and also moments where we'd hear sound from... I guess I don't want to say the future, but there was sound that I thought for the longest time was the sound of a train, which made sense because we're talking about, you know, different locations connected by rail. And so I thought it was a sound of a train. And often you'd hear the sound at a transition moment, which if you know anything about film and symbolism, trains often symbolize a, a change, a shift in the narrative. Something's changing. Something's developing. And so it turns out that wasn't a train. It was actually people stomping on bleachers. I don't know why that, 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 that tripped me out. It's just, you know, these moments of anxiety and tension that he really uses the sound to kind of ratchet up these emotions and, and make you feel like you're kind of in the room with them by giving us that sound. It, it really throws us into the room. It throws us into that space. We're there with them. We're feeling everything. So when they're anxious, we're anxious. He really uses the sound to set the mood, set the tone and to bring you into the experience. Now, when we get to the, you know, the subject of the bomb, now we don't see Hiroshima or Nagasaki, but we do see Trinity, which is the testing of the atomic bomb, which they did in the middle of nowhere desert somewhere in New Mexico. And it's, you know, it's, it's God, that whole scene was incredible. Again, the tension, the anxiety, um, you could hear a pin drop. I think the last time I really heard silence like that in a theater was when I went to see Argo several years ago, um, Ben Affleck film and the scene where they're escaping Iran and, everyone held their breath in the theater 
everyone held their breath until they took off and they were out of Iranian airspace. How do I know that everyone held their breath? Because once they, you know, the, they announced they were out of Iranian airspace, they'd entered into another country. You could hear everyone in the theater exhale. Just, (sighs) it was, those are the moments I live for in the theater. These collective, beautiful moments that you can only experience in a room full of strangers. This scene with the atomic bomb, you could hear a pin drop. No one was breathing. Everyone was still. No one was moving. It was just an experience. And then the sound, the bomb goes off and then there's silence. The silence. And you're waiting for it and you're like, and you're watching them watching and experiencing and then boom. And it's magnificent. And the fact that they really blew something up, you know, that wasn't some cute little special effects thing they created in a computer. No, this is Christopher Nolan, for God's sake, who doesn't like CGI, who's all about doing things in camera. If the man can do it in camera, he's going to do it in camera. So the man said, hey, we're going to create a bomb and we're going to blow it up, but we only got one shot. That's Christopher Nolan. He's going to do something explosive and expensive. We got one shot to get this right. And just the amount of trust he has in his crew and in the process, that kind of faith, it's beautiful. And it's so incredible. Ah, ah. The, the other thing I really wanted to touch on here that I thought stood out was the cinematography. There is a scene and it's just so well shot and so beautiful, really just kind of captures just the beauty of Cillian Murphy. I think you can kind of tell that Christopher Nolan finds Cillian Murphy, I don't want to say attractive because I don't want to assume anything about the man. I don't really know anything about him. But obviously he knows a beautiful human being when he sees one. And Cillian Murphy is just a beautiful human being. Striking blue eyes, beautiful angles, great cheekbones, that very long life. Just a beautiful, beautifully handcrafted, designed by God human being. And he really set off to capture these moments where you get a picture of his angles and the cheekbones and his eyes. But there's a moment where he's in a suit and he picks up, he's standing facing a window. So you don't see his face. You kind of just see that his left side just slightly, and he's putting on his hat and he's grabbing his pipe. And it's just such a beautiful shot. The lighting, this is movies just beautifully captured, beautifully shot. It's, it's just, to me, it, it's, it's stunning work in just visual photography and moving photography. I don't want to say, you know, we say motion pictures, but no, I, moving photography. This was, it was artistic. The, the, the choices that were made in terms of framing and angles and lighting, it was very artistically done. It was just beautiful. This was a work of art. The entire picture was an absolute work of art. I don't know what else. I don't know how else to to really describe it. He really decided to just to say, I want this to be beautiful. I don't want this to be good, but I want it to be beautiful. Now, in terms of cinematography and choices here, we kind of float back and forth between black and white and color. And now the way this movie is set up, the structural narrative is we have Oppenheimer sitting in a room being interrogated, interrogated, interrogated by people over his security clearance. And that's pretty much how the story flows. So the beginning moves rather quickly. We're kind of bouncing from little scene to little scene, little scene. And it's, it, it moves very quick. It took me a minute to realize, Oh, this movie revolves around this hearing. So he's reading from a statement. And that's how the narrative flows. So it, it flows like he's reading from a statement. So if you're reading from a statement, you're going to give little quick bites here and there. But it's just enough to kind of give us an idea as to where this man came from and how he got to where he got to. And 
So when things are in the past, this kind of let us know where we're at. When things are in the past, it's black and white. But when we're in the present, when we're supposed to be following along with the story, that's when things are in color. It's, it's, it's very interesting because we have things that are being told from the future perspective. And he's talking about the past, but the past is in color and then the future is in black and white. But this it's, Oh, the, the back and forth. And then when we get to the point where the past and the future meet up, that's when things switch to color. It's an interesting switch. Another thing that I, I loved visually is just the way vulnerability is expressed and it's expressed in a very obvious and non-subtle way. So a lot of people have asked about um, the sexual scenes in this movie, right? So between Florence Pugh and Cillian Murphy, yes, there is full frontal nudity, with, I wouldn't say full frontal. I just say, you know, from the waist up for Florence Pugh. And then we get kind of uh, slight full nudity, no private parts from Cillian Murphy. Not that we haven't seen them before. I mean, if you've seen 28 Days Later, you've seen all the Lord hath made twice at least. <laughs> so, I mean, that's not a shocker for me to see him completely nude because we've seen it before. And, you know, Florence Pugh is topless. And these moments are very um, vulnerable, very open. And that's intentional because it's it's in these these scenes with Florence Pugh, I think, is when he is his most vulnerable, his most real and um, his most tragic. So when he's in this room being interrogated and they get to the part about the affair with this woman named Jean, played by Florence Pugh, it's this weird motion of the camera going from left to right. So one moment he's fully clothed and then we have this kind of weird transition point with a man kind of sitting in the middle. And once we pass him, he's fully naked in this room full of men who are prying open his private life. Some of the worst mistakes he's ever made as a man, as a husband, and his wife is sitting right behind him. Just he's vulnerable. He's exposed and then then it gets interesting so yeah um a lot of people are like oh my god is a sex scene really 15 minutes long i don't know it didn't feel that long to me i mean if you're there with a parent i'm sure it feels like an, etern- an eternity but um it didn't feel that long to me i don't know I- i'm not one to judge again i have to see the second time so that i thought was just an interesting Photography tour. That's something you would photograph, something you would set up for a photograph to really express express vulnerability. That's not something you would typically see in a major motion picture, that kind of artistic expression and symbolism. You don't see a whole lot of that anymore. No, no one thinks about film in terms of symbols and metaphors and motifs like that anymore. Some people try to do motifs and, you know, cute little plot devices and MacGuffins and it doesn't quite work. The one that I think of that I'm thinking of off the top of my head, um, Wakanda forever where they tried to create a MacGuffin and it just didn't quite work. At least it didn't for me, but this movie really just plays very heavily on visual metaphors. This thing with marbles, um, again, the sound it's all just beautifully put together. Well done to make, a cinematic masterpiece of moving photographic art. And I can't express enough how much I truly loved and enjoyed this movie. If you are a parent, this part of the podcast is for you. I've already had a couple of questions from parents wondering if this is appropriate for their child. Um, The time to ask me that question is not right after I've seen the movie, especially if I'm like going nuts over it. Uh, Give me a day. (laughs) 
<laughs> give me a day. Not to say you shouldn't ask those questions, ask them away, but I'm I'm not going to be able to give you a proper answer until maybe 24 hours later, maybe 12 to 24 hours later. I, I can give you a proper um, analysis as to whether or not this will be appropriate for your child. So Oppenheimer, um, your elementary school kid is not going to get much out of this unless they're like a World War II aficionado. But I did have a question from a parent of a 12-year-old. Would this be appropriate for, for a 12-year-old? This movie is rated R. Again, there is nudity in this movie. Uh, female frontal nudity. There's no like below the belt nudity. You do see um, Cillian Murphy is naked in this movie, but you're, you don't see anything untoward. In, in terms of male nudity, but mainly just Florence Pugh, just, you know, boobage and all that jazz. As far, I think that's pretty much it. That's, um, that's pretty much the only thing that I would say would be inappropriate for a young kid is the nudity. Other than that, it, I think as a parent, you have to decide if, is, are you prepared to have conversations about World War II with your kid? That's it. You know, this is not talking about, you know, Hitler and the Holocaust cost so much, but we're talking about an atomic bomb, an atomic bomb, two of which were dropped on two cities in Japan and so many thousands of people died. So many repercussions, many of which we're still in, we're still dealing with today. Um, I think that's the kind of discussions you need to be prepared for. I think this will be a good history lesson for someone who is middle school or high school age. The only thing that I would say, hey, you might want to caution is the nudity. That's it. So I think this is not appropriate for kids who are elementary age. I think if your child is middle school age, you know your child, you know what you find appropriate for them and what you don't find appropriate for them. I think if your kid is somewhere between 14 and 15 years of age, just use caution. I think if your kid is older, is 16 years of age or older, I think they'll be all right. I think, I feel like they're old enough for that. But if as a parent, you've set a standard in your home as to what visually you will allow and won't allow, keep that in mind. There is male and female nudity. There are sex scenes in the movie, but it's not like extensive or the whole movie. I think the movie is worth a ticket, even for your you know middle schooler or high schooler, in spite of those scenes. But that's my opinion. I am not the parent. You are. Want to advertise on this podcast? Check the episode description to see how you can be featured on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to me rant and rave about yet another movie. So to sum it all up, that was Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. It is his magnum opus. This is the movie of the year. It is the movie to beat for award season 2024. I've heard some people say it is the movie of the century. I'm not sure whether or not I agree with that, but I am willing to have that discussion. I want to have that discussion. I think this is definitely in the running for movie of the century. So what's coming up? What's coming up? So as I mentioned before, I will be seeing Barbie tonight. I have my outfit somewhat ready. I have a couple of little things I have to get done. That's going to start 
right after I finish this. Actually, no, I'm actually going to eat breakfast right after this and then go do things. And then Sunday, I'm going to see a little horror movie called Cobweb. This movie kind of popped up out of nowhere. Y'all know I go to the movies a lot, right? I go, I go to the movies all the time. I'm always at the movies. And I had never seen a preview for this movie until last week when I went to see Insidious. And yeah, I love horror movies. That's my go-to. So why am I just now seeing a preview for this? Um, it looks interesting. So I will be seeing that on Sunday. And then next Thursday, I will be seeing The Haunted Mansion. Kind of looking forward to it. Not really. I don't understand why we're having a remake, retelling, reimagining, or whatever this is of this movie. It wasn't that long ago that the movie with Eddie Murphy came out. I'm not sure how necessary it is. But it was filmed in the city of New Orleans. So we're going to check it out. I love seeing my city on city on screen not just because it's my city it's where i live but new orleans is gorgeous and it photographs well so there's that and also this being you know another disney film disney is just not doing so hot right now in terms of the box office so it'll be interesting to see how this movie tangos especially with the giants from this weekend oppenheimer barbie coming out um it'll be a very interesting um you know, an interesting dance. And also with Sound of Freedom still doing incredibly well, Mission Impossible doing doing okay. So yeah, it's it's this has been a very interesting July, to say the least. But yeah, that's what's coming up. Thank you so much for listening, sticking around. Let me know what you thought. If you're gonna see Barbie, if you're gonna see Oppenheimer, your thoughts, I want to hear them. Let me know. Love y'all very much, and I will see you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.